Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel according to Luke. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 16. <clears throat> Reading from verse 23 to 25. Luke chapter 16 from verse 23. Speaking of the rich man. And in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Our subject this morning is the rich man's eternal regret. Well, we turn our attention this morning to a part of this uh, tremendous account before us. And uh, for any of you who are unfamiliar with this uh, portion of Scripture in the uh, 16th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, well, uh, we begin by saying that this is uh, quite an unusual passage because much of what is written here does not describe a scene on earth or a scene in this life, I should say. This account gives us a very uh, vivid picture of the afterlife, of what happens after we die. This is going to be the scene that is presented to us. Now it does uh, start on earth and uh, it starts really with two men. First, there is a rich man that we are introduced to in uh, this uh, account. There was a certain rich man, verse 19, which was clothed in purple and fine linen. A rich man. Now, this rich man is uh, never named in this account. You may have heard uh, the name uh, Dives being uh, applied to this uh, rich man in other churches this uh, portion of scripture is often referred to as Lazarus and Dives or Dives and Lazarus. But that's not really his name. In fact, it's not his name. Dives really is uh, Latin for rich man. So it's not really his name. It's just uh, Latin for uh, saying that he's a rich man. We don't know his name, but he's just described as a certain rich man and uh, he's clothed in purple and fine linen. Well, this is a great sign of his wealth. To be clothed in purple was a sign of uh, great wealth. Very often it was only princes and kings and royalty who wore purple, Tyrian purple from uh, Tyre. And if you saw somebody dressed in purple, well, you knew it was somebody of great influence and of great wealth and fine linen. So really his outer garments were purple and his uh, inner garments were of fine linen. And uh, this was a particularly sought-after linen we can uh, uh, glean from the original languages. Very luxurious, very soft and white. And he fared sumptuously. 
So he was well-dressed and he fared sumptuously. Now, this means more than just he ate well. Really, the meaning of this is that this rich man in his life, he lived in great splendor, great splendor. And he enjoyed all the pleasures of life, not just eating, all the pleasures of life every day. He fared sumptuously every day, not just some days, constantly. Every day, his life was a life of daily luxury and uh, opulence. So this is the first person that we are introduced to, a certain rich man, nameless. But then we are introduced to somebody who does have a name. Verse 20, there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. Lazarus, who is the opposite of the rich man. He's a beggar. He's laid at the rich man's gate and uh, he's full of sores, ulcers on his body, a sign of great uh, deprivation and poverty. This is uh, what he looked like. This was what he wore. So uh, there is a contrast in these verses. The rich man is clothed in purple and fine linen. The beggar at his gate is clothed in sores. There's a contrast in these verses. And whereas the rich man, well, he would eat sumptuously every day, what happens to the beggar? Verse 21, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. This is the great contrast. He's at the gate of this rich man every day, and he's desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. And then it gets even worse, these descriptions. Uh, Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, this beggar. And, uh, well, some say that the dogs coming to uh, lick his sores, it was almost out of pity, as if the dogs had more pity on this man than actual men, than human beings. The dogs actually take notice of him and lick his sores, or others say, well, this is just a... to uh, confound uh, or to uh, compound the wretched state of this uh, beggar. He is so wretched that dogs, unclean animals, well, they come and they surround him. This is such a wretched state of the beggar. But then we read in verse 22, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And this is very interesting. So far we have just read about the contrast between the rich man and the beggar, the great contrast, the great difference between them. But in this verse, well, they do have one thing in common. They both die. This is the great thing that they have in common. And this is, of course, so very basic and something that we ought never to forget Death comes to all of us. You could be a very wealthy person. You could be a millionaire, a billionaire. You will die just as surely as the most uh, penniless person on earth. This is what what this uh, parable is saying to us, or this account is saying to us. They both died. Lazarus died and the rich man died. And uh, death is not the end. This is something else that we learn from this account. Death is not the end. So many people are mistaken in this day and age 
thinking that death is the end. After death, there is nothing. That's what so many people say. When you try to speak to them about the Bible, they say, well, I don't believe in that. I believe in after death, there is nothing. Nothing to fear, uh, and equally, nothing to rejoice in. There's just nothing. Nothing after death. But the Bible, and we will see this, the Bible is very clear. There is an afterlife. If you say there is no afterlife, how do you know? Have you been? Have you been to the afterlife and come back? Have you died and come back? Are you God yourself to know all of these things? How can you possibly know? Well, this is the word of God. This is God speaking to us and telling us there is an afterlife. Death is not the end. Lazarus died, the rich man died, but that's not the end of the story. Of course, there is something else that happens after this. So uh, we read that Lazarus, well, he is carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Essentially, this means really very simply that he's taken into heaven or perhaps paradise, we could say here, into Abraham's bosom. Really, Abraham's bosom, well, it in a sense refers to the practice uh, that was uh, common at the time of how people would recline at meals. They would uh, sit together in such a way that the head of one person was reclining on the chest or on the bosom of the person next to them. It was uh, a very close friendship, close fellowship. And really this is implying that uh, this beggar, he is now in close fellowship and friendship with Abraham. He's in Abraham's bosom. He's in paradise, in heaven. He's in a good place, in other words. But the rich man is not in a good place. Verse 23, and in hell he lift up his eyes. This is the rich man. Being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Well, this is obviously a terrible place, a place of torment and regret. But verse 25, but Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And this verse certainly deserves our attention because this really is what separates believers and non-believers. This is what separates Christians and non-Christians. The non-Christian the non-believer, he will seek all his uh, fulfillment, all his joy in this world, in this life. They will work to obtain good things in the here and now, the best experiences in this life, the best food, the best clothes, the best wages, the biggest house, the nicest car. That's what the unbeliever aims for and desires. And a lot of the time, the unbeliever can obtain these things. He can actually gain these things because he wants his good things now in this life. But the, but the Christian is very different. The Christian, well, he forsakes the pleasures of this world. 
He lets them go. The desires and the pleasures of this life, he does not seek after worldly riches or worldly glory. He does not live for this life at all. That is a great part of what repentance is. Repentance, one of the ways in which you could define it, it's not living for this life. It's not living for this world any longer. And this is uh, the great difference between believers and unbelievers. And in fact, for Christians, it's very often the contrary. We actually have to suffer many things in this life. Lazarus, well, we don't all suffer like him. He was a beggar and he suffered many things, as we've just read. But a Christian suffers in his life or her life, suffers many things, suffers persecutions, suffers uh, mockery, insult, accusation, isolation, and so on. If you are a true Christian, you will suffer at least some of these things in this life, but we can bear it. We can bear it. How can we bear it? Well, because we know that after this life, there is something far greater. After this life, that is when we receive our wonderful things, our glorious things, our eternal things. And this is why Abraham says to this rich man, you received your good things in your life, in this world. But now it's Lazarus who will receive his good things, his eternal things. And this is how we are to see the Christian life. We don't live for this world, for this life. We live for the next life. And we forsake all the things of this world. That is what repentance is. And Lazarus, well, he had that faith in Christ. We know that he had that faith because he goes to be with Abraham. Abraham is known as the father of faith. And uh, the children of Abraham in the scriptures, the children of Abraham are not uh, the Israelites, the physical Israelites, that is. The children of Abraham are those who have faith. Those who have faith. You can be from any country. You can be from any people, tribe or tongue. But you can still be a child of Abraham if you have faith like he did. He's the father of faith. So those of us who have faith, we are the children of Abraham. And we will be where Abraham is in heaven at the very end of our lives. So this is the first lesson. The rich man is tormented, but Lazarus, he is comforted. He has forsaken, as it were, the pleasures of this life, and now he is rewarded. But those who live for this life and this world, well, what is in store for you in the next? How foolish this rich man was to live just for the things of this world. How foolish. Does that speak to any of us here? Let it not be said that any of us will make that same mistake. We must repent and we must have faith. But then we read in verse 26 something else that is very interesting. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. So Abraham is speaking to this rich man and he's saying, 
you are in hell, we are in heaven, and between heaven and hell there is a great gap. There is a great gap, a great gulf fixed, and you cannot bridge the gap. And somebody from one side cannot pass over to the other side. That is the teaching of Scripture. There is heaven, there is hell. There is no way once we have died to get past that gap, to switch from one to the other. This is uh, what is being communicated here. That is why we don't uh, uh, believe in purgatory. Some people believe in uh, purgatory. This place that is neither heaven nor hell, it's a place where you go when you die and it's possible to get from purgatory to heaven if you want to or if you're prayed for. But that's not in the Bible. In the Bible what we read is there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. When we die, it's too late for us. When we leave this world, well, your position is fixed. It's either heaven or hell. And there is no hope after that. This is what this passage is teaching us. And this is why we preach the gospel in this place. In this life, there is hope. And so this is why we declare every week, you must turn now. You must turn in this life while you still have hope. Otherwise, it will be too late. There will be that great gulf fixed in this life. Well, it doesn't matter how far away you feel from God. You can still come to the Lord. You can still go to him. There may be some people thinking, well, that even now I feel so very far from God. Even now. I feel like there's a great gulf between me and God. Some people say that to you. I feel too unspiritual to come to God. I feel uh, uh, too worldly. I'm too caught up with the things of this life. Maybe some people feel too sinful. They feel that they're too far from God. It's impossible for me to be saved, pastor. There's, there's too much of a gap. But that's, that's a lie. In this life, that's a lie. In the next life, yes, there will be a great gulf fixed. But as long as you have breath in your body, you can still go to the Lord. You know, uh, uh, in the previous chapter, in Luke chapter 15, we have that well-known parable, the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. And we won't go through all the details, but that parable is about somebody who wandered very far from his father. And fell into great sins. But then he came to his senses. And he decided to go back to his father. And we have those wonderful words in uh, Luke chapter 15 verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion. And ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. While his son was yet a great way off, he was a very long way from his father, but God saw him returning. God saw his desire to come back, and he ran out to him. That's how God behaves. You see, in this life, it doesn't matter how great the distance is between you and God. God's love can overcome that distance. 
but you must come now. You must come now. There's no distance too great in this life. So all of these things are communicated to us in this passage. When we die, it's too late, but there is hope for us now. But let's return to uh, Luke chapter 16, because there are further things that we want to look at and that are applicable this morning. So let me read from verse 27. I'm going to go right down to the end and then we'll apply. So then the rich man, then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, five brothers, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham. But if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And these words, well, they are very interesting. This rich man, he seems to be concerned about his brothers, his brothers who have not died. And this rich man is saying to Abraham, send Lazarus. Cause him to rise from the dead and go and visit my brothers so that they will not come into this place, so that they will repent. They will repent. And, uh, well, many say, well, is this man suddenly become kind and he's caring about the salvation of his brothers? Well, not really. If uh, this man had really cared for his brothers, he would have witnessed to them when he was still alive. He wouldn't have spent his life indulging in his own pleasures and in his own riches. He would have repented and witnessed to them. If he really loved them, you know, this is a great uh, show of our love. If we really love people, we will point them to Christ. Because when you point them to Christ, what you're doing is you're saying, well, I don't uh, just love uh, you in your body and in this life, in this world. I care for your soul. I don't want you just to live for 70, 80 years on this world. I want you to live forever. That's a great sign of love, to point people to Christ. If you really love people, you will repent and witness to others because then they will be led to eternal life. So he doesn't really care that much about his brothers. And in fact, he's, he's trying to deflect the blame onto God. He says, uh, send Lazarus. But Abraham says to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They have the word of God. And he said, nay, Father Abraham. But if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Well, Abraham says his brothers have the word of God. They can look to that. And uh, the rich man says, no. Somebody needs to go from the dead. They need to see a miracle as if, uh, as if the scriptures are not enough. The scriptures are not enough. They need a miracle. That's the only way they will repent. And that's very sad. There are sadly a lot of churches nowadays that think like this man, this rich man in hell. They think that the scriptures are not enough. If you just 
open up the scriptures in a service and preach from the scriptures. That's not enough to save people. So many churches think like that. What you need is miracles. Do some healings. Speak in tongues and so on. Have visions and so on. You can't just open up the scriptures and expect people to be saved like that. You need to have something else. That's exactly the attitude of this man. The scriptures, that's not going to do anything. Moses and the prophets, they need a miracle. Send Lazarus. Raise him from the dead. Then they'll believe. That's the attitude of this man. That's the wrong attitude. And we see that very clearly because at the very end, verse 31, Abraham says to him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. You see, faith comes by hearing. And hearing from the word of God. Faith does not come by seeing miracles. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. When the Lord Jesus Christ was on earth and he performed those miracles, there were so many people who didn't believe in him. Even though they saw the wonderful miracles, they didn't believe. And Christ died and he rose from the dead. He certainly rose from the dead. This rich man is saying, get someone to rise from the dead. Christ rose from the dead. So does all the world believe? No, they don't. And even at the time of Christ's resurrection, people still didn't believe. So dear friends, the way to salvation, the way to true faith, is we hear the word of God and we believe it. We believe it. We have faith. We don't need to see anything. We hear the word of God and we believe it. You see, that's the true miracle. That's the true miracle. A miracle is not seeing something amazing and then being converted. That's, that's not really a miracle. You can understand that. They're a Christian just because they saw something amazing. That's reasonable. A true miracle is if somebody just hears the word of God, hears about Christ. Here's about how he has died on the cross. He has shed his blood for their sins. Sins that they have committed in their life. Christ suffered and died. He took upon himself the punishment. The miracle comes when they believe in that. And their lives are changed just through that. Through hearing the word of God. And they forsake the things of the world just through that. Just through hearing that. That's the true miracle. Not I saw something amazing in the sky and then I believe. There's nothing miraculous about that or amazing about that. It's I heard the gospel message and I turned from my sins and I was a changed person. That is how we are saved. Moses and the prophets, well, we have something greater than Moses and the prophets. We have, of course, the New Testament. We have the letters of Paul. We have the gospel accounts. This is the way of salvation. So dear friends, this is the exhortation. You have to hear and believe. Listen to the word of God and believe on it. Trust in Christ. Don't wait for a sign. Don't wait for any miracle, any miraculous thing. All you must do. This is the instruction of Abraham. 
Believe on the word of God. Hear what you are hearing this morning and believe it truly. But dear friends, we're almost out of time. Just one more thing, just to recap what we have considered. One of the things that we could say about Lazarus and the rich man is that during their lives on earth, they were actually in uh, close proximity one to another. The rich man was in his palace or wherever he lived. And uh, the beggar, Lazarus, was not very far from him, was at his gate. So in their lives, they were actually quite close every day, not very far from one another at all. But in eternity, when they died, well, then there was that great gulf. Then there was that great distance, close in life, in geography, but after death, so far apart from each other. Well, let us apply that to ourselves. We are all in close proximity with one another here. We are all in this church. We perhaps all live in the same community. In this life, we are so close to one another. How will it be after we have left? After we have died, close proximity now, what about afterwards? Is there going to be that great gulf fixed between us? What a tragedy that would be. What a sadness. A sadness that we have been here this day. We have sung the Lord's praises. We have sat next to one another. We will speak one to another, have fellowship one with another. But perhaps at the end, that great gulf between us, and we cannot pass from one side to the other. Dear friends, let it not be. Let us all, each one, examine ourselves. Do I truly know the Lord? Do I believe this word? This word, Moses, the prophets, the apostles, this is all I have to do. Nothing else is required. No miracle, no sign. I simply believe in Christ and I know him and I love him because I know he has died for me. That is the message that we see here. This is the account before us. May the Lord bless us and help us. May we look to the Lord before it is too late.